Hello and welcome to another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You, uh, the podcast where we're talking about the things we're talking about on this podcast, uh, specifically Wes Craven's new nightmare, the 1994 meta-franchise reviver-slash-killer uh, made 10 years after the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I am Josh Millard. Are you? I am. Who are sure. you? Okay, I'm... Okay, let me just let me check the script. Uh, I'm Yaakov. Uh, how you doing, folks? Uh, yeah, and we're doing New Nightmare. Uh, the I guess it is a direct sequel to Nightmare on Elm Street because it seems to ignore the existence of the other movies. It does and it doesn't, and it's interesting in that sense. I mean, it 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 mostly just does. Like I agree. I think in terms of what it addresses in most of its plot and callback stuff, it's really all about riffing on the. The content of the, the first original, film. yeah. Uh, but there's there's people at the funeral. Well, no, is that true? Actually, I was going to say there's people at the funeral from later ones, but I guess maybe not. Maybe I'm. You thinking- know what? I don't. I there's definitely people in the funeral from the first one. Like what's his name? The uh, the the tough guy with yeah. the switchblade. Yeah, he's he was there. Like, yeah, he's there. Um, and I think. Wait, no, Johnny Depp was not in this movie. Um, Maybe yeah, he was. I I guess I I wouldn't be able to place anybody from the other movies. Um, but I think you're right. I think I was. I think yeah. I was placing him in uh, another one of the films for some reason for a second there. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think I think that's a fair thing to say. I think I'm putting up a fight that I don't need to put up. Uh, it does seem to be fundamentally a direct response to the original film and to some extent to uh, Wes Craven's feelings about the ensuing franchise. Uh, yeah. And it also showcases a really, really boring version of Freddy. Like, they, they, they revamped him from the for the movie. Uh, specifically, they they wanted him to be more in tune with Wes Craven's original, uh, original image. But in this case, I think that's like one of those Star Wars Episode One things where or the, the uh, I'm sorry not Star Wars the 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 remade Star Wars ones yeah. with the like extra singing and CGI <laughs> where I don't know how much of the original vision I want to see considering it seems to be worse than the thing that was actually made yeah yeah no it's 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 interesting I didn't have a particularly bad reaction to uh the I guess revamped Freddy in this but then I was I, I was watching this, you know, more interested specifically in seeing how much I remembered from having seen it before and, and for the sort of meta nature of it. And so in the sense that everybody in the film plays a somewhat fictionalized version of the real version of themselves rather than uh, the character they played in the previous film or previous films, having Freddy come off somewhat different from the Freddy character in the earlier films feels kind of okay. Like, like, like if you take... Like 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 Craven's conceit within the script that, that he explains during the movie as part of a script he just wrote because yeah we'll get into all that but his conceit seems to be that fundamentally what Freddy is is some sort of ancient elemental evil that is just taking on some sort of face right now uh, which yeah, is Freddy. It, that's true, but in this movie it looked like it took on the appearance of a guy in a Freddy Krueger costume. It, yeah. it just did not look like Freddy Krueger, the character. It looked like somebody in like a really well-made Freddy Krueger costume for a live appearance or, or something like that, which is something that happens in this movie with the <laughs> other better costume. Um, so that that was totally that that was weird, and it was still Robert. It was yeah, it was still Robert England in this uh, playing him. 
and himself. Yep. Or a fictionalized version of himself. Although, you know, I think, yeah, we, we both uh, watched... Uh, well, I watched most of Never Sleep Again, and I think you watched all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's on Netflix. It's a three and a half or three... That's a solid four hours. It's like three minutes and 58 minutes or something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very long documentary on uh, the entire franchise, and it's... You know, I turned it on and then I just started doing chores and I think that was like the perfect thing for it because then I would just like wander back in every time. You know, occasionally there'd be something interesting uh, and then, you know, I'd just listen to the talking heads talk about stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody... I mean, did you like sit down and just pound through I four did. hours of uh, Well, no, it? no, I did, it, I did it in a couple chunks. So what happened was I was experiencing significant uh, digestive distress one day. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sort of sit here and feel miserable. And it's like watching a thing. And, and, uh, and so that was the thing. I was like, okay, well, I know for a fact that, uh, that my wife doesn't particularly want to sit through a four-hour documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I know for a fact that I'm... I, I'm not going to super duper enjoy and be super attentive to anything I watch right now. Uh, so maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just watch this. And so yeah, I really I, I watched two hours of it in a go, um, and it's not bad. I mean, it really is just it's you have to be interested in the Nightmare and Elm Street yeah. franchise for this to be interesting. It's not something yeah. where you're going to be like, my God, I never understood there was a Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. My you know, world is open. It's, it's, it's definitely made by someone interested in the story of that well, specific it was, franchise. It was, it was produced by Heather Langenkamp. I don't know if it was directed by her, but I think she was the one who like put up the money for it. Oh yeah, from what I—I I mean, that's unless they just gave her a production credit for being in it. Maybe you know, I, I mean know. she did the narration on it too, which is a really weird thing because I—I yeah. I, I, I almost feel like we're going to spend like at least half this podcast talking about the the documentary that's not notionally <laughs> what we're covering. But you know, here's the thing: you're doing a you're doing a big documentary. Whether she was one of the drivers behind it or just got involved. You're doing a documentary about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Heather Langenkamp. Of course you get Heather Langenkamp involved. And of course you do interviews with her because, you know, she was in a couple, well, three of the movies they talk about. And uh, you know it's a fun thing to do if you're doing a documentary that needs some voiceover? Get someone from the films involved to do the voiceover. Let's get Heather Langenkamp. And so then you end up with Heather Langenkamp doing softball introductions of herself in <laughs> and it's a, it's a weird thing. I'm sure it was weird for her too. And But, but it's just like it feels a bit... Uh, uh, a bit silly uh, watching and listening and having her sort of like, you know, I mean, so it's like a, it's what do you think, like, Heather? Well, Heather, you know, it's not quite that bad, yeah. but it has that feel. But uh, yeah, but I mean, it's like, it's that, it's not like, like a warts and all, like, you know, what really happened behind the scenes of Nightmare on Elm Street. It's just like a bunch of people that were on it being like, yeah, it was a lot of fun and it was hard work and here's some, you know, file footage. Yeah. You know, uh, well, you know, it, 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 it's a little bit in a weird impl- between place. Like everybody who was there seemed to be pretty okay with it. Uh, Bob Shea, the uh, founder and CEO of New Line Cinema, talks a bunch. Uh, Wes Craven talks at various parts. Uh, there were clearly some weird, uh, bad issues between them, and they, don't, they, yeah. they, they they acknowledge that. I mean, they don't get into it. You know, it never turns into, yeah, well, Bob Shea can go fuck himself. You know, it's like it seems – for one thing, it seems like they're maybe on the far side of it at this point. But it's clear that the first film was a huge point of conflict between the two of them, which is probably part of why Craven was like, yeah, no, I don't think I need to do a second one. Um, Bob Shea seems to disagree with a lot of people, uh, and and a lot of it comes up 
in sort of a person says, well, you know, I thought this about this, and, and Bob disagreed, and it was really kind of a pain in the ass working out, and then they'd cut to Bob Shane and be like, well, you know, we had some disagreements about that. <laughs> and, and no, and and I yeah. So there's, it, but yeah, it's not it's not like a down and dirty. Let's really dig into the festering underbelly. But there's there there's there's at least conflict in there. It's not all super shiny happy. Everybody gets That's together true. for a and, glowing. Yeah, like in the introduction for the new Nightmare segment, Bob Shea was just like, well, I had to, it's like we had to bury the hatchet between me and Wes, and we did. Yep. Uh, and then we got this movie made. So I, I love that, like, sitting in the background, considering, are they are they both in this? Like, Wes Craven is in it as Wes Craven. Yeah, and Bob, Bob Shea's Shea, in it as Bob Shea. Is he's Bob Shea? Okay. Yeah, no, no, Wes, uh, Heather at some point goes to the new line. Uh, so, so I had the advantage oh, of watching, right. so I watched New Nightmare, uh, I, I watched – I think I did sort of the same pattern as you. I, I watched a bunch of this documentary, uh, but not the new Nightmare. But I watched it up through like Nightmare 4, and then I watched New Nightmare, and then I watched the rest of it. So I watched the, the new Nightmare bits afterwards. So I'd already been primed. Like, like I wouldn't have recognized Bob Shea or any other folks from New Line without watching that specific documentary. But I did that before I watched New Nightmare. So I was like, oh, hey, it's, 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 it's uh, somewhat younger Bob Shea. Oh, hey, it's, <laughs> it's that other lady. Oh, hey. You know? And there's a bunch of, yeah, there's a bunch of callback stuff with the casting, both to the original film, but also to literally New Line Cinema as a group of people who were involved in and sort of springboarded by the original film. So it's, it's got a weird sort of feel to it that's... Uh, I mean, Bob Shea has, I think, been in a number of New Line films as a guy with a not-super-important part that isn't particularly challenging, uh, where he shows up and he plays Bob Shea, essentially. So ha- casting him as Bob Shea wanting to produce a movie uh, was probably a pretty good call on Wes Craven's part in this case. Uh, but yeah, no, he's there, and a couple other people are there, and, and yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I... I guess I feel like we've just sort of barreled into this. Uh, so, 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 new nightmare, new nightmare. Uh, for those who didn't watch it, uh, I would say if you like the Nightmare on Elm Street films at all, any of them, it's worth watching. It's interesting to see this different take. It's it, worth watching, but only if you watch the first one first. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, it's just like a bunch of what's supposed to be like parts of the movie that you are meant to enjoy are probably going to be missed. If you don't, you know, just watch the first one within, like, some soonish period of time before this one. Before yeah. New Nightmare, I mean. Um, yeah, like, I, I, thinking back to all the stuff that I'd noticed, like, if I had not, like, been like, oh, hey, that's from that, and oh, hey, that, that guy's from that thing, this movie would have been much, much more boring. Yeah, no, I, I would say it's very much that. It's, they are a, they are a pair. The second film is fundamentally responsive to the original Nightmare on Elm Street. So watching them both in that order is the way to go. Um, and as far as it goes, it's it's pretty fun because, I don't know, I, I enjoy silly callbacks and I enjoy sort of meta references. And this film is just a gigantic collection of those along with uh, the original story elements. Uh, so, like, you know, I, I've got a ton of notes that I probably won't go through all of them specifically because we don't necessarily need to. But, you know, I, I, I wrote down a ton of things. Was like, oh, hey, okay, from the first film. Oh, hey, from the first film. You know, they bring back uh, John Saxon. Yep. Uh, and I guess he—that's uh, not makeup. I, I could have sworn that he was wearing like eyeliner or something in the first one, but he's got it in this too. So either they did that to him twice, or those are his actual. Uh, Maybe he just uh, got eyes. Eye, eye, eyeliner tattooed yeah. out when he was young. 
That's true. Back when he was... What the hell was his real name? Or, no, I'm sorry, not his real name. His original name. Uh, John Saxon, born Carmine Orico. I can see him as a Carmine. I'd buy that. Uh, uh, he grew up... He went to high school near where I grew up. Oh, yeah? And, yeah, he's from Brooklyn, apparently. So he's he's back in it, uh, and he plays both John Saxon, friend of Heather Langenkamp, and then at a key point late in the film, he starts playing uh, Nancy, whatever her name's, dad, and it's it's a kind of a nice transition point. I don't I, I, here's here's my take on this film. I really I, I really enjoyed watching it. I thought it was fun to watch it, especially having just watched the original one again, because I I, I enjoy the sort of goofy, self aware. Let's let's make a film that is. Very meta. Let's make a film that is sort of about another film and about itself. Uh, so playing around with the idea of casting Heather Langenkamp as Heather Langenkamp and Robert England as Robert England and and all these new line people showing up and and all that. Uh, I really dug that. I don't know that it's a really I'm, great film as far as that goes. It's. I I don't think it is honestly. I mean it's. It's more enjoyable than it is good, I think. Um, like, if I hadn't watched the previous movie right beforehand, if I hadn't had some interest in, you know, the concept of horror movie franchises and, like, horror movie, you know, stuff, just this, the, 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 the milieu of horror movies outside of, like, the movie itself, the making of them and so on, if I hadn't had an interest in that, I, I think this would have been just like a sort of boring and confusing horror movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that is that is probably the case because, especially well, and that's that's one of the interesting things, right? Because we talked a bunch about things we liked in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but we also talked about things that were sort of you know felt cheap or cheesy and whatnot, and that in retrospect made a lot sen- more sense to me once I realized that the original film was basically a low budget horror film rather than, you know, something operating with the budgets of the later, uh, later, like three and four that I started out my familiarity with. Um, but you know, so it's, it, 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 it's a fun, scrappy, interesting, uh, horror film. Uh, but, uh, it's not necessarily exceptional in a lot of cases. Like, you know, Nightmare in Elm Street is interesting in part just for how much of a phenomenon it became and how there was this whole franchise, uh, and there's bits in it that, and as you said, you, you you felt genuinely scared by it. I mean, there was there was stuff that really worked, but there's also stuff in there that like is undeniably, you can tell it's kind of cheap. You can tell they kind of scraped it together. You can tell maybe you know they hadn't fully developed this script or that had done a little bit of damage to it in the process of editing it around the child molestation stuff. Um, my my point being that that this 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 response film, New, New Nightmare, uh, suffers a little bit as a blank slate uh, horror film not just for the fact that it's so clearly a response to another film that you would need to see but because the film is responding to is kind of goofy in places where you know when you bring that back around it's still goofy I mean Freddy's tongue coming out of the phone was a great callback in this because like of course you gotta do that you gotta do Freddy's tongue coming from the phone. But it's still not an effect that looks particularly great. It looks like someone did a horror movie effect shot of making a phone look like it's got a fake tongue coming out of it. You know, so it's when you're depending on the structure of a film that itself had some sort of, you know, cheap or goofy or, or not not totally suspension of disbelief maintaining bits in it, and you're calling those back, you're setting up a film that itself is gonna have the same sort of issues too. 
Yeah, and um, and I think when you're so dependent on source material as this one is, you, you uh, like there. I guess there's a tendency to make references to stuff the focal point instead of making like some sort of comment on that reference the focal point and then you just end up with you know like a bunch of homage shots that don't really do anything but recreate something from the previous movie yeah um and you've also got like a Chekhov's gun that never goes off and I'm so mad about that (laughs) which is this the dinosaur Oh, yeah, the dinosaur never does anything. The dinosaur's like some symbolic figure, and it's like, uh, where's, yeah. Yeah, I, I was hoping it was going to become like some sort of, you know, like giant defending dream dinosaur that kills Freddy, but nope. Yeah, or the little kid would turn into a dinosaur or ride a dinosaur or something like that. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's an interesting thing, too, because to some extent, there are, there, are, there are hints of the other movies in this film, um, like the film acknowledges that it was a franchise. The film acknowledges, in fact, that the previous film in the series, Nightmare Six, uh, oh, that's was, right, yeah, because you know, he says we killed Freddy. Yeah, Freddy's dead. The yeah. final nightmare. And you know, when they're doing the, the 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 press early on, when Freddy makes his appearance at the talk show or whatever, that's one of the questions to you know Heather Langenkamp is like, you know, well, you know, yeah, and she's like, no, Freddy's dead. Um, there's a there's a prop in the prop shot at some point, a couple heads sort of melting together thing that was yeah uh, that was out of like five or six I don't remember which um, it turned out it, it it turned out watching that documentary convinced me that I have not seen films four or five or six I mean I've seen little bits of them but I have not watched those because most of it was just like I don't remember that that is unfamiliar. <laughs> um, so yeah, sort of mixing up which whichever those, but yeah. So there's definitely props from the later films. Um, so I mean, they're not ignoring them, even if although the film is substantially in terms of its references about the first film, definitely. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned something. I'm trying to remember what I, I, I had something on it. And, nope. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Gone. I've got something for this. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the hand, the the, the claw, because like I was like the one that opens the movie, or just the general concept of it. Um, the the more general concept. I do I, I yeah. do like that the, the moving the movie opened with a straight up. Uh, let's go to the opening of the original film thing with a building of a robotic hand. Uh, yeah. Except for this time, apparently it's. Uh, I guess it's a remake. They're making a remake, or just another Nightmare on Street film. But it could be. It doesn't necessarily have to be a remake. It might just be like another take on like the origin story. Yeah. They're, they're, it was never made entirely clear why they were doing that. Yeah. Um, well, and that was also in Heather's dream. But then again, Heather's dream turned out to manifest itself somewhat in reality because those guys ended up dead somewhere, and that claw is something that her husband was in fact working on later. Um, the animatronic claw, Freddy yeah. claw, that came alive and killed people. Yeah. Including the, uh, the 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 cook boy who was actually a 29th century time traveler in uh, Star Trek uh, Enterprise, um, was that guy the curly haired guy who got killed first? Oh. I think looks a little bit like uh, 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 Ramus. Well, I sort of yeah. I was I was, was going to say he looks a little bit like uh, Buster Bluth. Oh uh, yeah, as well. Yep. But, yeah, uh, to the point where I actually I kind of looked it up. I was like, I don't really believe. Uh, uh, that these Hale. are the that this is Tony Hale, but I'm gonna go look just because I wasn't really he wasn't super on my radar when I watched. Now I want to see pictures of Tony Hale. I yeah, 
<laughs> nothing, nothing could please me more. Uh, I'll, I'll, I've got it side by side of the two of them actually that I dug up at some point. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the claw. Yes, let's talk about the claw. The claw. It looks different. It's got a thumb claw. It's sort of fleshy. They talk yeah. about building it with dog tendons. Was it dog or, or bovine? Something. Maybe bovine. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they. It was a combination of biological stuff and machine stuff, and um, I think it looked pretty cool. And I think the effects that they used to to bring it to life were they 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 shied away from CGI and. It wasn't CGI, and it could have been, and that would have been terrible. Wait, was it? Yeah. No, 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 that was a practical effect. Yeah, I think I think they just did wires and stop motion stuff with it. Yeah, uh, and probably some actual animatronics too. Uh, that's the nice thing about, I guess, making a a, a prop be an animatronic claw is you can just make an animatronic claw and run with yeah. it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, do you I, think? Do you think when they were making, they were like, no, 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 it has to look more proppy, make it look more like a prop and not a prop? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, that sort of ties in with my notion of sort of at least somewhat defending the, the change in the sort of look and feel of Freddy is, like, again, if we're sort of saying let's take – let's get back to some manifestation of some greater elemental thing rather than, like, Freddy Krueger as literally the guy in the movie – uh, then of course it'd be a little bit different, right? You know, it's like you know whatever Wes Craven was having nightmares I, about, he would yeah, describe it, to his prop department, and they'd come up with something, and it wouldn't be quite right, but it's like good enough. I don't mind that it's different. I just wish it was better. Yeah. It no, no, I, I not, understand. Yeah, it was just not well done. Like it, it like the like his hand, especially with like the bones and stuff. It, it, it looked like just latex and paint. Yeah. Well, um, and I think maybe part of the thing to remember here is that this was at the end of the day. Uh, still a new line cinema nightmare on Elm Street film with whatever <laughs> I guess like budgeting and management issues might make it complicated uh, and maybe Bob Shea and Wes Craven getting along uh, was you know responsible for some of the stuff not turning out the way it might have turned if they were arguing as much as they were when they made the first one I don't know uh, it would be interesting to like get the two of them drunk and angry and, and hear that interview but uh, yeah I'm not sure if that's likely to happen. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I'm I, I was surprisingly bothered by there being a thumb claw. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like it was clumsy to 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 work with too. Robert Englund yeah, mentions that. Yeah, and he didn't have um, what do you call it? There was no glove. It was just like claws on like that he was wearing on his fingers. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like that as well. I I just the the. The glove is just so central for me, um, and and his hat and his coat were new, like brand new. Yeah, which was also kind of disconcerting. See, I, I I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to double down on the uh, newly molted variety of the elemental thing because I, I think I think if 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 we go with the idea that that seems to be what Wes Craven was going for with the story that that Freddy is in fact a manifestation of some ancient evil and that Freddy is just one of the many faces that it has worn over the you know millennia uh then the idea that he would have had you know dreams about 
Freddy Krueger that then would have inspired him to make movies about Freddy Krueger to sort of manage that situation would involve a couple layers of filtering through his consciousness to create this Freddy Krueger. And if what we're seeing is instead some new iteration of this being manifested in a slightly different way, maybe manifested partly through the mind of Heather Langenkamp rather than, you know, the Nancy character and through the mind of her son who has no prior uh, engagement with the films, uh, then maybe we would get this slightly different take. And maybe maybe the kid is the key and maybe the kid is sort of like claw hand. He thinks not man, you know, manufacturing a claw, but you know, a hand that is a claw. And maybe you know, vague impression of uh, Freddy Krueger based on you know, the, the, the shitty uh, image quality on their TV you know, had only this sort of like gestural impression of what Freddy Krueger looked like and didn't know the backstory. And so we end up with this kid's version of, you know, his mom's and Wes Craven's older version of, of this manifestation of this pure evil or whatever. Could be something like that. I'd buy that. Or it could just be some questionable uh, makeup and props decisions. I don't know. Yeah, it was the 90s. It's, it's hard to tell. Like the, like there was, I think that's one of those things about, like, 90s horror movies specifically is that they're like you know just on that cusp of CGI where they can like you know embellish practical effects with CGI and they try to make them look as you know good as possible and then they just end up looking just sort of fake just because of how like slick they wanted them to look yeah yeah there's a mention of like there's a little bit of CGI used in oh one of the later one of the later films um, and it was just not very good at all. It was like some floating like demon head things, and it, it looks like that early CGI thing where people are like, hey, we could use CGI to create this impossible effect. It'll look like shit, but we don't know that yet because it's not 10 years from now. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I like the fact that they would like, you know, with the, like they had to they had to zoom in on uh, Freddy's body in one of the other movies and like show like the people, like the souls trapped within it, and they had to get like, you know, the real faces to do it, so they built a giant Freddy torso. And then it fell over <laughs> while people were in it. Yes, yes, that was amazing. That's like I, I felt so bad for laughing, but it was so funny just to watch this like giant animatronic torso just topple over full of people. Yeah, I hope the, nobody was hurt. There's a there's a Clive Barker story that I, I feel like I may have mentioned and had trouble remembering the name of as well uh, in a previous podcast. But there, it, it was a story about a couple people who are like up in the woods in some some I don't know forestry area in Europe, and then they come across these gigantic, like like literally giants, homunculi, uh, human figures that are actually composed of like hundreds of people, everybody in a village got together and sort of strapped together into this big infrastructure of a sort of metahuman and then was walking through the forest and then there was another one as well and and then something goes terribly wrong and it goes from being this crazy thing to see to being this horrible pile of wreckage and death. Uh, and the whole thing is super weird and, and anyway, that's also a, like a giant uh, figure falling down and people getting hurt. So, What is the name of that, that manga guy? Junji Ito? The guy that did uh, Uzumaki and um, some other stuff. He, he's the one that draws these like the horror manga. These, you know, you if you have you ever seen like the the pages from that one manga, the one where, with the like, cracks in the wall. Yeah, yeah, the one where the yeah. people are going into like the cracks in the wall, and then there's another one where like the entire like page of the comic book is turning into cubes by the panels and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah, guy. I know that guy. Yeah, I just didn't know him by name. Yeah. 
Apparently, on the, they they uh, made an allusion to the one with like the mountain holes on an episode of Steven Universe. Huh. I need to watch that show. I need yeah. to watch that, and I need to watch Gravity Falls. Yeah, I've I've I watched most of the first season of Gravity Falls, and it's it's super good. And like I've been avoiding it on anywhere because apparently, like the season two finale is supposed to be like all holy shit, and I just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, no. But yeah, I, it's great. I definitely recommend Gravity Falls, and I haven't watched Steven Universe, but I've heard good things about it. Have you watched Adventure Time? I watched some of the first season, and I know that it gets better, and that like you know it starts building a continuity and stuff, and it looks like it gets like super good, and it just I do not have the amount of time to really like delve into it, it that much. I, I, I would encourage sometime when you feel like you've got a little bit of slack time to go for it because it really is fucking amazing like it is really like i played uh um, just about the best thing yeah. i have seen on tv uh, i played uh, a adventure time version of munchkin <laughs> the card game <laughs> slash board game and um the just like the stuff that was in it like the the characters and the items and designs they, they, they were blowing my mind like how how well it was made. And I've read, like, a bunch of the wiki just because, like, again, I like the stuff around it. It's just sitting down and watching it is, is the more difficult part. Because <laughs> the episodes a- are, like, 11 minutes long. <laughs> this is the easiest... Oh, are they? Because there's, like... Because yeah, because there's like twenty plus of them per season. Isn't yeah, there? No, 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 yeah, they're all short. They're like they're they're oh. like half length even after commercials. So yeah, that's I, my biggest problem with Adventure Time is there's never enough of it uh, because oh, like I even when there's a new episode, it's short. over after like eleven, twelve minutes. Like fuck, okay now. Yeah, no. So it's it's not as hard to binge. It's it, it's literally half as hard to binge <laughs> as a, a half hour show would be. Um, and, uh, and and those hour shows, geez, you know. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I, I strongly recommend. I think I, I think it's it's some of the best like original storytelling like ever because it's not trying to be grim dark, but at the same time, for being this goofy fun thing, there are some fucking emotional depths and some weird twists and turns, and it doesn't like get all up about them. Like that's the best thing about the show is it really continually keeps telling this story in bits and pieces and fragments. And so instead of there being the big revelation where now everything changes, it's like there's an episode where you're like, holy shit, that's what's going on with that. And in the next one, Finn and Jake go and uh, save the waffle princess from a syrup monster. You know, like it never descends into, okay, but now, now we're serious. It's more like, no, okay, here's another mind-blowing revelation about the show. And also, here's another adventure. It seems to be like, from what I've seen and read, it seems to be like intent on growing up with its audience, which kinda. It, I mean, yeah. I think, I think, I think that's a, an aspect of it. Um, yeah, I'll probably give it a shot at some point. Yeah, that's no, really good. That's really good. And that's why you should watch New Nightmare. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is as I'm thinking about this film. It's kind of a challenging film for me to figure out how to talk about it because I do have pages and pages of notes, but they're yeah. really notes about little things that I liked. I mean, there are a ton of callbacks and they are fun, but uh, I'm a little bit worried about just like spending a half hour dryly reciting the things that you would notice if you watched it. Because if you watch it, you'll notice them, and if you didn't yeah. watch it, why would you care? <laughs> uh, so I'll try. I'll try and look through my stuff and be a little bit selective, but. Uh but yeah, it, it is kind of tricky. It, it, it's it's a film where it's almost like talking about the fame, same film twice. I mean, it's not literally, but yeah. so much of it is owed to and specifically a reaction and reframing of stuff from Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, 
that there's it, it's not as much of a new film to talk about as as we would otherwise be be looking at. Has anybody ever actually referred to an earthquake as a shaker? Uh, probably someone uh, is my during own. the night <laughs> of the paper hat. Yes, yes, that's what you do on the nights of the paper hats. You, you, you've got a cracker and a shaker, and then. Uh, also, that was like a 5.3. You know, I was, I was talking about this with Angela. I was like, 5.3 seems kind of small for that much violence. But maybe they were right on top of it, I guess, you know, because like 5.3 isn't small, but it's also not like crazy huge destruction, I don't think, usually. Uh, and I, I don't think it would be like the. I feel like, basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is, boy, that guy sure was shaking the camera around a lot in that scene. <laughs> like, I think they could have underplayed that a little bit and, and still had it work okay. I thought yeah. the earthquake cracks that looked like claw marks was kind of cute. Yeah, and it reminded me of, uh, where the hell were they doing that? Doctor Who. Some season of Doctor Who that they, they, they kept oh, doing. Oh, cracks like in the crack. walls, yeah. Yeah. Reminded me of that, but yeah, yeah, it was it was it was fun to be like, oh, that's surprisingly subtle. How they don't like nobody ever like yells like, at it. It's like, God, it looks it like looks, his claw. Yeah, exactly. It's just like no, you're just gonna leave it. You know, if you if you re- realize it looks like a claw, you know, enjoy. If yeah. you don't, it's cracks in a wall. Yeah, you know, I I I feel I feel torn because like there's stuff about this movie that I want to complain a little bit about being a little too on the nose and whatnot. But of course, this stuff's on the nose. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm not giving Wes Craven enough credit for doing some like you know smart and interesting writing. I, like, I mean, there was like the scene where she goes to visit Wes Craven, and everything like that they like it's it's implied at the end like by it zooms into a computer screen and what she was typing a script and it's like the exact conversation they just had, and I thought that was like way too too much. It's I see I love the idea but it's yeah it's, it's hard to know how to sell that in a way that doesn't feel sort of cornball. I mean the idea that literally the entire events of this film that is set in reality rather than a film uh is taking place according to the stuff that Wes Craven is waking up from nightmares and typing down like structurally I think that's a great gimmick. I mean I like that idea. It's a it's a fun sort of meta premise. Uh, but yeah, selling that is a little bit tricky. And and the scene with Heather visiting Wes and having that conversation, uh, in the same way as like Heather visiting New Line Cinema, like I'm I'm sort of entertained by the scene and the premise, and I'm along for the ride. But it does kind of feel like people who aren't actors acting, and that's a tricky thing to build like a like linchpin existential revelation around. Like Bob Shea saying, "Oh no, kids love Freddy Krueger. You should make another movie." Okay, I buy that. That that seemed like a totally legitimate, you know, thing that Bob Shea would probably say in that context, and he sounded like a guy saying that. Like it, it, it wasn't a fine performance, but it was fine. But like, right. yeah, Wes Craven, the conversation at his house. It's just sort of like a sort of slow, broody scene that really should have a bunch of, uh, you know, pathos involved. And instead, it sort of felt like Wes Craven feeling relatively comfortable, but a bit put out by the situation because you know, ancient evil. Uh, giving him nightmares and going to kill them all, so he feels like he's like, and eh, you know that's uh, that's kind of a bummer. You know, it was sort of the feel it had. Like he didn't really sell. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the flip side of this I mean, is, the, 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 I mean, like at that very moment, what Wes Craven's character, Wes Craven, is supposed to be encountering is the fact that word for word, everything he wrote within the last however long it was that he turned his computer on just happened to him. 
and he does not seem like a man who is experiencing that unless he is just so comfortable with it that you know it doesn't really matter and he just has to keep up appearances yeah. he's so used to the exact thing he writes taking place in reality yeah. and I, I, I and I don't think but I, the I, movie wants us to believe that. Yeah, exactly. Like if 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 they were taking the direction that this was instead something that had been so thoroughly haunting Wes Craven like for years that he was sort of like coping by being a little bit dead inside and having like a, a flat affect or sort of like just a inculcated defensive sociopathy or something that I think would have sold perfectly well too. Or having him be like legitimately like upset and troubled by the situation in a desperately trying to cope sort of way. But yeah, instead it, 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 it didn't really have that feeling. It felt more like Wes Craven was having a calm discussion in character as a person in this clever script he wrote. And so, yeah, it doesn't, as something that could be sort of a, a, a key bit of the film, it, it, it does end up feeling a little bit like, oh, this is an episode of The Outer Limits. Well, maybe it wasn't that Wes Craven that made this movie. Maybe it's like that's the, uh, what do you call it? The only character in this movie that is not, like, supposed to be who they are is Wes Craven, who is instead, like, some sort of avatar of the, you know, the universal Wes Craven. Sort of dis- a desolation of, uh, of Wesness. Yeah, and that's why, you know, he had the weird affect was because, you know, this was, this is like a, 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 it's, it's not a person. It's, it's, it's a manifestation put in, you know, to do something, which I guess in this case would be to bring Freddy back. Um, and it's, yeah. Yes. So, uh, so that also, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a thing. Uh, a thing I was disappointed about is at first I thought Heather's name, Heather's husband's name was Jason, not Chase. And I was like, Jason. Yeah. yeah that was okay. And then, yeah. So that was a bummer. Also, who like turns he off? A, he was wearing a Fangoria t-shirt though. That was pretty cool. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Yeah, there's some scene. I mean, um, I think he's wearing, like, a shirt on top of it, probably plaid. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it might have just said, like, Angori or something, but it was... it was. I, I can yeah. identify the... For a person that has never read an issue of Fangoria, I can identify the Fangoria logo on site. <laughs> um, so... Have you ever read any of Fangoria? I don't know that I have. I mean, again, I know it exists. I've seen pictures of covers. Yeah, I don't and think it was ever like on sale anywhere that I lived that they sold magazines. Like, well, and I, I didn't. I, I didn't even like buy magazines. Like, the only magazine I had as a kid was Nintendo Power, and then I would read through, you know, our Harper's Monthly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I had I've always in my life I've had like at least two or three magazine subscriptions going at any one time. I read a lot of magazines. Like, that is, for some reason, my chosen medium. And yet you can't find time for Adventure Time. Yeah, I'm too busy reading these magazines. I'm just going to give you shit about this forever now. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I think, I I feel like if I had, like, if it had been available somewhere, that I would have, like, at some point bought a copy, but nope. Well, and, and yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I liked horror movies as a kid, but I wasn't like, you know, I need all, you know, I was never the kid in the horror movie who has the subscription to Fangoria. You know, I was never that, uh, like the kid from whatever, Jason 3 or, I think that was, yeah, that was the one we watched. Uh, anyway, yes. Uh, so, so, so the, 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 the writing I do feel like the the concept here was good. I liked I liked the the conceits. I liked some of the stuff 
that Wes Griffin did. And I do, it does feel like he was trying to be relatively subtle with some of the stuff in the film. Like, like not having someone say, my God, it's the claws with the earthquake cracks, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, they do, they do some Hansel and Gretel stuff in here that, I mean, I, I call it out as soon as it came up as like, oh, there's going to be a callback to this. But at the same time, there's never exposition where someone's like, see, Freddy was the witch all along. And it's like, we're Hansel. You know, I mean, they, they I mean, it borders on that when she finds the sleeping pills. Yeah, but, but they, they, they at least just sort of yeah. like do those instead of having, like, she, she doesn't stop, as I recall, and give a short speech about, you know, the parallels to Hansel and Gretel. She just sort of runs with the parallels in there. Um, That's true. I mean, but she does remember, like, him reciting the story. Yeah. Or reciting the story to him, and then specifically saying, they followed the trail of breadcrumbs home. Yeah. And then she picks the pill up off the floor, and... I will say, I, I think probably just as a general rule, and I'm, I'm sure there are exceptions to here where it's done well, but as a general rule, any time a film needs to play back in remembered voiceover something that someone said earlier in the film, they're they did basically just job. saying, hey, by the way... Either either I'm a shitty director or you're a stupid person. Uh, so let's let's just let's just back up a bit and let's just go over it one more time. You know, it's like they really want you to pass that quiz, and it's like I yeah, skipping yeah, that would have been fine with me. But still, at least it's it's halfway there. I guess I guess I'm just trying to reach for sort of saying I don't think the problem with the movie is that Wes Craven is dumb. Yeah, no, it's. It's it's I think that they they just this I, I think when Scream came out, this is what Scream changed, which was like the take on like the you know, sort of like metafictional narratives and and, and genre savviness and allusions to yeah. to these things. I think this is what Scream fixed was this kind of movie. Where it was just they 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 just did not they, they they had a concept, they had the meta concept, they had like a setting for it, which was Hollywood, and then they just could not make it work like I think they intended it to work. Yeah. Did you ever and, see uh, uh, Tim Robbins' film, The Producer? Not The Producers. Uh, I think it was I think it was maybe called The Producer. Uh, I'll look it up here. But it, it, it it's a film about a film exec uh, played by Tim Robbins. Uh, who gets mixed up in some sort of uh, crime? I think someone ends up dying, uh, and I don't. I don't remember any of the details. But basically, early on in the film, this 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 producer played by Tim Robbins gets mixed up in a bad situation. Maybe someone tries to kill him. Maybe he accidentally kills someone. Maybe something like that. But then it it it, it throughout you know the film, a bunch of stuff happens, and then at the end. He pitches an idea for a film about the film that just happened, um, and I think this is the same movie that opens up with a pitch for uh, uh, The Graduate Two as a like it's a dark, it's a dark comedy. It's not it's not you know just a straight drama. Um, I haven't seen it in a while, so I can't remember. But but it seems like an example of the same sort of thing that I think worked a little bit better overall, partly because it didn't have all this baggage tied to. You know, a uh, pre-existing film like the fact that New Nightmare is a direct commentary on Nightmare on the Street just fundamentally changes the nature of the film to what it would have been if it had been uh, basically what Scream was, which is like a right. more general commentary on the horror genre and horror tropes. Um, so, to some extent, I kind of, I guess, I'm inclined to excuse some of the things about it that feel a little bit weird 
just because I don't think it could really have gotten away from that too easily without just being a different thing. Like it, it, it this movie happened in a very specific context. And some of this is right. having watched the never sleeps again documentary. It's, it's obvious how much weird history with new line there was, how much, I, I hadn't I hadn't remembered how condensed the franchise lifespan was. Like, yeah, it takes. Yeah, it's uh, they, they basically had eight. Because wait, hang on. This is New Nightmare Seven. Yeah, it's it's the yeah, seventh. So they had film. seven movies in ten years, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, it's a like, fast that is, pace. Yeah, that I mean, has there I has there been any other franchise you could think of that like grew that fast? Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, uh, Friday Thirteenth may have been similarly so, but. But I, I'm not particularly inclined to defend the 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 worthiness of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. So it's it, it's a weird thing, and 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 I, I don't know how useful to say I'm going to be inclined not to be as critical as I could <laughs> be because I you know think the situation's interesting because it doesn't tell you much about the film. But it, it's weird. It's, it's hard to unwrap it. I think this is maybe the downside of having watched the documentary is I've got a whole bunch of this sense of all the shit that went on uh, that isn't in the film. It's not on the screen. It's, you know, it doesn't change the fact that stuff on the screen was uh, sort of dumb in some cases, you know, but but I can't really get it out of my, my head. So, yes. I had a theory uh, about... Um, Freddy that turned out to sort of play into Wes's uh, concept at the end of the film about the elemental evil uh, more than I expected to when I was writing it down as a joke. But my theory was maybe seismic activity is the way that the planet dreams. So earthquakes are just Freddy sort of haunting the actual tectonic structure of the earth by giving it bad dreams about, I don't know, not having tectonic shifts anymore or magma buildups that are bad. And so the earth's like, whoa, and, and it's thrashing around its bed. And that's, that's why we get earthquakes. Hmm. So there you go. I could, yeah. I, um, whoops. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fill in here. Who turns off a TV by unplugging it? Obviously, Nobody. you're setting it up for the TV working, even though it's still unplugged. Although, again, sort of I, subtle there. They never really. Yeah. No one ever says, "My God, the TV's unplugged." No, they, they do. I mean, nobody. You're, you're right in that nobody says it. But like the first time they show it, when um, what's his name, uh, Full House Kid, uh, Daryl, Darren. <laughs> the, the, the hell was the, his, the name of his character? Dylan. 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 He Dylan, was on Full when, House. Yeah, he was uh, he was one of the characters that was like in school with Michelle. Oh, okay. I I totally recognize him as a child actor. Uh, he we... was also in Pet Cemetery. Oh, okay. I remembered him specifically from the opening of Jurassic Park because I'd seen that again recently. And he's a little kid who uh, Sam Neill reveals his murderous intentions to briefly uh, by threatening to gut him with a Velociraptor. Clock. That was him. I just saw yeah. a gif of that on Tumblr like three days ago, and I was just like, he clearly gestures toward that kid's crotch with that thing. <laughs> like, being able to watch it in a loop, like, he definitely, like, slashes that kid across the stomach, and then his hand drops out of frame towards the kid's crotch, and the kid winces. <laughs> um, oh, Sam Neill. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, what the hell was I saying? Um you were struggling to figure out what you were saying, so I'm just going to keep stalling until you figure it out. <laughs> uh, Patricia Arquette in Nightmare 3, just as a completely aside thing, mm-hmm. I had forgotten that she was in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. 
I've been uh, watching a bunch of Medium, uh, and then, yeah, I noticed that, and it's just like, oh, hey, how about that? She did not come back for four. They recast that part, because she lives, and then they bring back some of the people from the first film, and uh, mostly just to kill them off promptly, I guess, or, or, yeah. or a bunch of people from the, the third film, I should say. And then, yeah, they had to recast uh, the character for four. Uh, so that's a shame. Uh, <laughs> I like the creepy limo driver fan. You know, it's like there's this perfect ambiguity. Oh yeah, is it, is, that, is that it, was so weird. Yeah, is he gross in a creepy, terrible horror movie way, or is he just a shitty dude? It was not the. Uh, it was not totally clear what the intent was, which I think actually worked pretty well. Like it's just a random throwaway minute of the film, but still, like you've got this guy who just like is failing to express good boundaries while performing a professional role. And I wonder if that was just like, you know, Heather like clap he, saying, he hey, definitely this is... like had a, yeah, he definitely had like some, like a weird, like perilly vibe around him. Yeah. And, the, but they never went anywhere with it. And I don't know what I think of that because on the one hand, I mean, good, like don't always do the obvious thing. It's appreciated. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you could have done something with him then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they just like, sort of just like, all right, here he is. And now he's not in the movie anymore. And you know, yep. But I mean, as, as sort of like a token of the vague sense of menace that the in-film Heather Camp character is supposed to be experiencing, I think it's okay. It's just like a little note. Um, doing something further with it would have been interesting, but but as a one-off, I think it was okay, too. I typed down in all caps what must be a line, but I don't remember by who or in what context. Forget those clowns. Who told who to forget which clowns? Did, did Freddy yeah. forget to someone to forget a clown? I don't know. I don't know. It was in the vicinity of the prop claw that, that Chase was working on disappearing, and there's claw marks in the T-Rex doll. I don't know. Forget those clowns. That's 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 a key concept here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the under-the-sheets thing... Uh, mm-hmm. That's that felt like a like, like Rex is under the bed hiding under the sheets. That felt like Rex a bit of, is like, a T Rex, a stuffed doll, Tyrannosaurus stuffed Rex. animal. Yeah, yes. who, as we said already, like they don't end up doing anything exciting with. He's just like some protective totem. And at some point, he gets scratched, and I guess that's sort of representing Freddy proving that he isn't sufficient protection. But then they stitch him up, and I guess he's protecting it. Yeah, yeah. I don't really yep. know. I don't really know what the deal was there. No idea. I mean, I I thought that they were just going to bring him to life, and and they did not. Did they mention anything about it in the documentary? Rex I don't think so. No, they didn't really get into it uh, that mm-hmm. I recall. So yeah, I think maybe maybe that was something that just like lost a little bit in the draft at some point. But yeah. Um, or maybe it's something where like it, it makes a good story if you knew the story that maybe Heather Langkamp's actual son, you know, had nightmares and slept with a stuffed dinosaur and Wesker was like okay well it goes in the movie or something I don't know yeah I don't know um, I mean but I, I did like the whole like there's stuff happening like at the bottom of the sheets and then them actually that actually getting paid off when she you know takes a bunch of sleeping pills and immediately goes into the nightmare world uh, and then just like you know she the it was pretty cool. Like they, they made like the under, like the sheets under the bed thing into a tunnel, which looked pretty okay. And then she gets sort of like pushed through it. Uh, you know, like she zooms through, which I thought was kind of weird and silly in a way that they probably weren't intending it for it to be. Yeah. But I think any time where you have like a person quickly traveling through like some sort of a slide or shoot, it's, it's, you, you have to work hard to make it 
not funny, and they I guess they did not just work hard <laughs> enough on that one. Yeah, I did like I did like what that was a setup for the giant Freddy face that she sort of slip and slides out the mouth of. Yeah, the yeah, the, the the big trouble in Little China style, like giant, incredibly like detailed neon. Well, not neon lit, but I think the eyes were lit lit up. Yeah, um, that that was it's a I, nice bit of set. Yeah, and then she goes over what was that a mat like a mat painting that she drops through? Because it didn't look <laughs> like CGI. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, I think they green screened her just like onto a mat painting. Yeah, there, there there were a couple of green screens in this that just sort of felt like really like they it came off not good. It came off as as sort of cheap looking. When Freddy's coming out of the cloud and fucking with Dylan on the the highway, uh, yeah. the Freddy in the sky looked sort of like this is not good blue screening here. <laughs> um, which is, I feel like that's a thing that generally speaking, if your film has any kind of budget anymore, that just is not the issue it used to be. Uh, like, you know, you can probably still some, see some pretty shitty chroma key stuff in like, you know, the worst of the made for TV sci-fi films. But uh, generally speaking, it seems like people have just gotten better in general at not having really awful uh, like chroma key artifacts. So, so that's something good job. Low budget films. Your technology has gotten a little bit better. Uh, there's a dolly zoom. There was there a, dolly a dolly zoom, zoom on I'm Heather. I'm trying to remember where it is. I think it's uh, when, when she was getting a call from the police or, or the police showed up. Uh, and they she, she's at the door and then, yeah, they totally do that. There's a uh, very, like, nurse ratchety nurse in this. Um, well, maybe not as, uh, not as what do you call it? Sadistic, like openly sadistic, but there is definitely like a mean nurse in this. Yeah. And then there's another nurse who gets repeatedly beaten up, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, there, there's a scene when uh, Julie, the babysitter, who is, I guess, the single most devoted or possibly best paid babysitter on earth, considering what she does, like, you know, um, as they're 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 just like Heather at this point has you know like things are going badly and her son's in the hospital and they think he might be schizophrenic but he's actually just keeping himself from sleeping because Freddy is trying to get him in his dreams um, and so what the hell's the babysitter's name Jenny uh, Julie I think Julie yeah so the uh, like the two nurses like they go up to him and then and one of the nurses starts like filling her syringe up with. Um, with something, and, and Julie is by her, and the other nurse is by, like, the kid, and Julie's just like, you know, she grabs her hand, she's like, no, you can't do this, because Heather told Julie to keep her son awake, and, like, as she grabs her hand, the, the nurse is just like, okay, now, and the other nurse who's near the kid, like, whips out the syringe and, and you know, injects him, which was possibly the most forward planning anybody <laughs> in this movie has done. Um... But then Julie immediately, like, punches the nurse out, yep. which I thought was great. And then Freddy comes in, and, there's, you know, there's a bunch of Freddy stuff. But then all the way at the end, uh, Heather runs and runs back in, and the nurse that got punched is there. And she's like, I think she tries to restrain Heather, who then just, like, elbows her right in the gut. <laughs> so that was pretty funny to see somebody get, like, repeatedly, you know, beaten up in, like, a slapsticky sort of way. Yep. Yeah, and they they redid the whole turning room thing from the first one. Like the Julie's death is very much just a direct rehash of Tina's death 
uh, on the getting dragged around on the floor and yeah, but this time it. with actually like you know you got to see uh, Freddy do it, which yeah. I thought took a lot away from it because I couldn't figure out what the hell he was doing or whether he was doing it effectively. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was sort of much more frightening to watch it without like having somebody standing on a wall and just like looking like. That that's another thing where like if you're somebody's going to be like standing on a wall, it's super hard to make that not look like Fred Astaire or or something along those lines. And I don't think they did it very well. It was a little too like I'm clearly standing up sort of thing, like rather than you know like I'm standing sideways. Yeah. There's a there's a super deep casket thing that's sort of a parallel to the long uh, bed slip and slide thing later and, and also to the bottomless bathtub uh, I, I, I would say in general Wes Craven seems to have a thing for uh, weird uh, expansive architecture yeah oh uh, they, they they redid like the bathtub hand coming at the crotch thing with uh, Chase in the car <laughs> yes one Which two was... Freddy's pokily, you know playfully poking at your crotch before <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was. I mean, yeah, just like watching like the the the, the single claw like jab at his junk. There was something very very different about that than the way the scene came off when Nancy was in the bathtub. Yep. Um. Uh, and then he. Oh yeah, and then the 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 scene with the um, when she's visiting the uh, she's visiting the mortuary to see the body, and the uh, not the mortuary the morgue. And the morgue attendant is, like, super weird, and then the arm falls out, and he has to, like, <laughs> stuff it back in the body bag yep. before she sees it. I That was just, like, this weird little touch of comedy that I wish had been there had been more of, just because it was that absurd that, you know, like, they, they, they put the thing in when he's just, like, trying to quickly get this arm out of sight, like, Weekend of Bernie style. Yep. Which, uh, which again, we had the Tina's hand falling out of the body bagger gurney on the TV in the original too. So again, with the, the call outs, uh, I had another theory at one point, maybe Freddy's gateway isn't dreams. Maybe it's actually just mattresses. He's like, a, he's some sort of mattress zombie and dreaming just happens to correlate pretty well. Maybe and just, maybe just like fabric possibly because the, he came out of the wall like all fabricy in the first one and this one he comes out of the mattress like that for some yeah. reason. Yeah. So it could be the bed sheets. He likes emerging into 3D from a 2D plane. Maybe this is a weird horror remake of Flatland where he's some sort of like Flatland astronaut exploring the 3D world and he looks horrifying to us not because he's actually the avatar of some horrible burnt up child molester but because he just doesn't doesn't do people very well he's like he's like Odo from Deep Space Nine except for instead of too smooth he's too bumpy yep that would be um, that's probably what it is that's yeah. probably what it is uh, there's a kid who flies by on, uh, on a bike in like the foreground during the playground scene just but he's like wearing a striped sweater. It's just like a tiny little throwaway thing. But I, like I did not notice it. that. Yeah, it's like a blink and you miss yeah. it thing. Um, oh, they did the uh, they did the the expanding or extending hand thing again, and they made it managed to make it look worse than in the first one. <laughs> I enjoyed it in the first one, but even then, like I thought the effect itself was cheesy. They just did a good job of you know like with the the ambience with it, and you know the the cheesiness of it. I think to me looked. 
extra scary just because it was like a like a dream thing. Um, and but in this this time, he's instead like you know extending his arm out toward uh, Dylan, who's hiding in the furnace, and like you can hear like the stretching noise, but the effect itself looks dumb as hell. Yeah, it was it was not super impressive. I mean, they they sold the idea of stretching arm, but they sold it as, hey, we came up with a way to sort of do a stretchy arm effect, rather than like, yeah. oh my god, you can't get away from him. And, and then the, 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 the tongue thing also did not, <laughs> not look good either. <laughs> At least it was consistent, though. Like, that's yeah. the, Freddy, apparently a tongue monster. Like, all about the tongues. Uh, it seems to keep coming up from movie to movie. Uh, so, 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 yeah, I, I, I don't know. The they really they they went as far as they could with the tongue thing this time at least you know i mean that was a just straight up mummifying her head sort of situation uh but yeah i don't know it's 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 tricky cuz like how much can you run with the established sort of mode of operation of a uh in retrospect sort of goofy horror villain and not just end up with goofiness. I mean, that's that's part of the challenge of this film. And I think that's probably where Wes Craven was coming from, was trying to find a way uh, to make Freddy scary again and make him, you know, more of a monster and less of a, a quippy anti-hero. Uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't do a lot. He had, like, one actual... Like, as far as dialogue with him coming out of his mouth with him on screen, I think he had one, and it wasn't even that funny, and I can't tell if it wasn't that funny just because they were trying to make him, you know, no longer cute and now, like, actually, like, an evil thing, or if it was just a poorly written line that was supposed to be at least somehow entertainingly something. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I feel like that is that is a challenge that I don't know how you get past. How do you make a serious scary movie about a goofy horror icon and still stay basically, you know, faithful to that? And I, it, it seems like it seems like a difficult challenge. So I, I kind of don't envy uh, the attempt to strike that balance uh, on Westgate's part here because like I think he. I think he was sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, making a film that was a a much more legitimately scary Freddy Krueger film would involve making a film that was much less of a Freddy Krueger film as we understand it. And and yeah, it may have sort of ended up somewhere in the middle here, which is why it isn't super convincing either way. But it's it seems like a tricky thing. Yeah, like making a version of this film that would not make like hardcore fans of the franchise super fucking annoyed because it gets so many things wrong. Is probably you know part of the part of the priority there. You want to you want to not fuck up the Nightmare on Elm Street movie you're making, even if you're Wes Craven and you think a lot of the existing canon is kind of shitty in its own right. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, this movie makes it hard to talk about it. I yeah, have to say. I, I I think that's basically what I'm. I more than I would have expected. It's sort of it, it's tricky to to have really uh any little thoughtful detailed take on a lot of it um we could talk about fun stuff from uh from the documentary on on other films too uh just oh, man, sort of the, say fuck it the the uh the section i the first time i saw it someone actually had posted like a youtube video of it to metafilter 
uh, which was the the part of the documentary where they are talking about how gay the second movie yes, is. Yes, yes. That was that and was that was the that that was the standout part of the documentary. Yeah, it was re- really the discussion of of two. Yeah, and it just like it just people with like various um, various opinions on how gay it was and how gay it was intended to be, and like one of the I, I love like the one guy who was just like he seems a hundred percent genuine when he says it's just like I, I didn't think any of us were um, you know like thought we were making like we're making something seem you know particularly gay when we were making it, which means we were all either incredibly naive or latent homosexuals. And I just that one guy was was he just genu- it just genuinely sounded like he never caught it. Yeah. And whereas everybody else was just like, well, it was supposed to be subtext. Well, no, but it see, turned out to. I feel I feel like almost everybody was like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, except like, like so. This is this is why I like that segment from the the documentary because it was a really solid five minutes of setting it up and knocking it down. Where I feel like they talked to the director, they talked to. Uh, a number of other people involved. They talked to you know a couple of the actors, um, and basically everybody said, "Oh yeah, no, that was kind of a surprise to me because it's uh, you know I wasn't doing that on purpose, wasn't trying to make that, wasn't thinking that was it." You know, Bob Shea at some point says like, "You know, well, I'll tell you what, if if that was ever even intentionally part of it, you know, I didn't know about it, you know, and never had a conversation about that, so I don't really think so, no." And then they cut to the guy who wrote it, and he's sort of exasperated because I think he's sort of having this conversation after maybe they've talked to some of the other people, and he's saying it was supposed to be subtext. Like he's <laughs> he, it's not like yes, it was supposed to be there. No, it was not supposed to be just so blatantly there. And basically, he intentionally wrote this as an aspect of it. And then all these clueless dudes ended up like shining so many spotlights on it without realizing what they were doing. So the just- and then the set designer getting in there and because um, wasn't like the didn't they say like the set designer was like openly gay and knew exactly what was going on and just like decorated his room with a bunch of like purposefully like phallic imagery oh maybe yeah i may have i, I may miss that bit but yeah yeah and i I'm, i i think the the main character uh the the guy who played the main character uh is out but it's i the read i got of it was that he was not out at the time and so he was sort of like well, I, okay we'll we'll just run with this sure uh yeah i don't know it it it, it, it makes me want to watch the film again uh because I had forgotten uh, what the dynamic was like in it, but yeah, it is. It, it's it's sort of fantastic how much it's sort of like a we did not realize we were going to accidentally make this thing that would become sort of like a a, a cult thing to show segments of it at gay bars because it's so fucking ridiculous. Uh, the dancing scene uh, with the the main character dancing incredibly cornily. In his sunglasses, yeah, the 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 and like the slide whistle penis thing <laughs> was yeah. great. Was it a slide? I think it was a pop gun. Which was d- it? Yeah, it was yeah. something like that. It was either a slide whistle or a pop gun that he was, you know, just really, yeah, penising with while he was dancing. Yep, was um, yeah, that was and kind then, of amazing. Uh, what was what was the line uh, when he like shows up at his friend's house? Where they're just like, I can't believe we we wrote it this way. I can't believe it was shot this way. When uh, he's like, he's just like something the, is trying to, to get, get inside inside me. my body. Yeah, and the other guy's just like, and you want to sleep with me? Yep. 
that was yeah. that was wonderful. And the the gay coach that's pounded to death by balls, <laughs> or possibly gay. The, the, he's supposed to be like in a leather bar, right? In yeah. leather gear. Um, and then he and then and then he's beaten to death with balls. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Another thing from New Nightmare. Actually, looking through my notes, this is a thing I liked. Where there is, so we talked about Wes delivering his sort of. Uh, theory on what's going on to Heather when she comes to his house and talking about how, okay, well, you know, it's this ancient evil and the way to contain it is by, you know, trapping it inside a story. And so that's what the whole film is, is it's the Wes Craven writing to trap the Freddy Krueger essence inside the story. And he basically, I, I didn't write down the exact lines, but a major thrust of this is if you don't do a good enough job in the story, it won't contain the thing. So he's basically Wes Craven is writing dialogue of Wes Craven blaming shitty sequel writing that wasn't involving Wes Craven <laughs> on Freddy getting out. He's basically saying the franchise is so shitty that everyone's going to die from elemental evil unless I come back and do it right. Which is like, yeah, he doesn't put it in those terms, but it's like that married to watching through the documentary and his sort of struggle to be polite at various times talking about the films he didn't write. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of a nice thing. I like the, uh, the was he German? The, oh, the Finnish guy. The yeah. Finnish director. The guy who directed who- four. Yeah, and, and like he had not directed anything. Like he, like the director was he? Did he start with the second one or the third one? Uh, it was a different director. Like every every one. So he he was he did four. Oh, he was he, he did four. Okay, um, yeah, and then just how he was like the least experienced person on staff at the time. <laughs> uh, was the director, and then yeah, just just listening to him talk was was hilarious. Just because it was just like just very sort of like wide eyed like European kind yeah. of thing. Well, and then um, and then the next thing he makes two years later he makes Die Hard Two, which I don't like. Do you like Die Hard Two? I haven't seen it in forever. Uh, I I like I liked some of it. I remember. I don't know. It's just comparing like if it was by itself maybe, but just like comparing it to the to the first one, it just fails in every conceivable way and does not improve on it in yeah. any, in it's, any it's definitely way. It's definitely a sequel, for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see, he also made Cliffhanger, Cutthroat Island, Long Kiss Goodnight. He made Goodnight. Cliffhanger. I had, the, I had the game version of that for Game Gear. <laughs> Still haven't seen the movie. So, in, in, it, it, I, I guess basically, in a sense, Nightmare 4 sort of launched his career, but I'm not sure how hard it launched. Because he, he made several things that I've heard of, but yeah... Most of it's not anything that I'm like, oh, yeah, and that was great. Although Long Kiss Goodnight, I did like that a lot. Gina Davis, uh, I think Sam Jackson was in that. It's sort of a La Femme Nikita uh, story, except uh, Gina Davis sort of realizes that she was in a La Femme Nikita sort of situation after the fact because she's just some sort of happy housewife, and then shit starts getting weird, and she goes all badass. Anyway, yes, Rennie, Rennie Harlan. Uh is who we were talking about there, the Finn. Uh, yeah, I, uh, this is they, – they talk about the, the TV show a little bit in the documentary. Oh, yeah, where they were um, – they were why, why is it that they got to do whatever the hell they wanted? Because they, they had like no supervision because I, they either – did they know they were getting canceled immediately or – th- I think there was very little money and there was – the whole thing was sort of 
shoved out the door to just sort of make it happen during that like peak of freddiness, which is probably part of why it ended up being terrible. But yeah, I think they, I think they started with not much of a budget, and then it got significantly worse over the run of the film. Uh, is the impression, or, or, or over the run of the series. Uh, so the pilot was apparently pretty solid, and if everything had been sort of up to speed with the pilot, maybe it would have been a really solid first season, and maybe there would have been a second season. But instead, it apparently, just sort of went to went to the pooper real fast. Uh, but Brad Pitt was in an episode, so Brad Brad Pitt, who could have been the star of two, but Brad Pitt was nobody at the time, and so they they didn't take him. They got Patricia Arquette instead. Well, no, that was three. Three, three. They had like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. It's like it's it's weird, but they did get Johnny Depp in the first film, and Johnny Depp did not appear at any point in the documentary. So, uh. <laughs> I wonder if they even bothered asking. <laughs> I'm sure they asked. I'm sure they asked his agent, who said, "Yeah, I'll get back to you on that." Uh, yeah. How much did you say you wanted to pay? Nothing. Nothing at all. But yeah, did you ever see any of the TV show? I, I, I have not. I was young enough that like it was like not really. Uh, Something that you know would have been allowable. I don't think you know. Somehow, Aliens was the exception to the rule there, and even then, my parents were super excited about me watching scary movies. But like the TV show about this guy probably wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah, I'd always had the impression that it was like you know sort of a weird, quirky thing. But the bits I saw in the documentary looked really, really cornball. I mean, it's Freddy's sort of like the crypt keeper in this yeah. case uh, versus then- yeah. And then just like it said, it was an anthology-style show. Yeah. I think so. Wasn't uh, Friday the 13th as well? It was. Friday the 13th, like, literally all it had to do with the Friday the 13th uh, series was the name, as far as I call it. It was, it was uh, more of a... I, I don't know if it was anthology exactly. I don't remember. But it had an old guy who ran, like, a, a cult curio shop. And then a couple, like, young people, a, a boy and a girl... And I think they were sort of like working on maybe supernatural detective type stuff. Uh, but I, 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 again, I saw like one episode that one time and I was disappointed because I was just looking for a guy in a hockey mask to yeah. murder some people and that didn't happen. I don't think Jason uh, played any part in there. So I think that might have just been a branding situation. The, but, uh, and, and oh, didn't the, the people from. The people from the TV show, they, they, I think they mentioned that they ended up going to Tales from the Crypt after. Yeah, yeah. The crew. Saving it, basically, yeah. by showing them how to work with no budget. Yeah, it's like, you want to make an anthology horror film, a horror TV series yeah. with no fucking budget, we are the people for you. So <laughs> so that works out well, at least. And there, there, I think there, there was, there, yeah, there was two, cra- uh, Cradle of Filth, um, Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, movies as well, right? There was uh, Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. Oh, oh, god, yeah, that that was uh, Dennis Miller in Bordello of Blood. Yeah, is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, yep. and mm-hmm. I never saw Demon Knight. I don't think I saw Bordello. Of I Blood saw either. Demon I think Knight. I saw it was. It's not. It's like a not great horror action movie. I think. I think the parts of Bordello of Blood I saw were much better. Robert Zemeckis did the story for Bordello of Blood. <laughs> sure. How Why about not? that? And Bob Gale, you know, <laughs> the, the the guys that co-wrote Back to the Future. Well, there was Okay, there was also Tales from the Dark Side, which I know of, I think, was it a movie and a TV show? Tales from the Dark Side? I think it was just a movie. Oh no! There was from like the, a, oh, no, six I guess years. This is called Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which means it must have yeah, been a TV series. Yeah, it looks like ninety-two episodes over six years. 
Yeah, and I, I remember Pretty nothing about George it. Romero. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that played in. Because uh, I, well, I want to say the movie was like Romero and Stephen King or something. It was uh, uh, screenplay based on Lot Number Two Four Nine by Arthur Cat from Hell Stephen King. There's an Arthur Conan Doyle story and a Stephen King story. Huh. Which um, directed by John Harrison. Uh, oh wait, I don't know who did the next two. There's no. I'm not seeing a credit here. Oh. Oh, that's Debbie Harry. That's right. Huh. Well, that was a thing that I don't actually know anything about, but recall exists. So. <laughs> and there was also Tales from the Hood. Remember that one? Yes, yes. I think I might have seen that one. Um. You know, there's a. I I also I'm I'm, I'm glancing through the rest of my notes for New Nightmare as we talk about this random stuff. Uh. And uh, I had also noticed uh, the water slide uh, thing and called it uh, a bad water slide into a waterfall. Um, ah, I had something in here. There was oh, okay, okay. Here's here's a theory. Here's a theory about Rex. Okay, why do we keep coming back to this dinosaur uh, thing? Here's why: because Freddy is a manifestation of an ancient evil. We're talking ancient. We're talking ongoing conflicts a hundred million years ago with dreaming dinosaurs. That was like a, 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 a this fearsome beast, but very... So, so dinosaurs had very small brains, right? Yes. So they were incapable of having very good dreams, and so Freddy had a harder time dealing with them than he might with like the uh, relatively imaginative and, and fecund imagination of a, a Homo sapiens. So, so the the conflict between Freddy and the dinosaurs was much more gestural and impressionistic and sort of shitty. And so, when Freddy sees a dinosaur now, he's like, "Fucking I, th- I those guys!" Like the worst thing. Freddy was excited about Homo sapiens coming along because he's like, "Yeah, these are some good dreams. I can really wreck some ancient elemental havoc here." But then. 19th century or so when uh, paleontology starts taking interest in the discovery of dinosaurs I think Freddy got nervous right then he's like (laughs) I got a bad fucking feeling about this and then and then yes the little kid's T-Rex in this is like the apotheosis of that concern uh, coming coming to life so I think that's what's going on with T-Rex T-Rex represents actual literal Tyrannosaurus Rexes having shitty dreams that Freddy had a hard time effectively haunting I, I, I would like to see the Freddy and the Dinosaurs movie. <laughs> I would like to see an episode of the Dinosaurs sitcom with Freddy Krueger. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be that would be a heck of a thing. So here's I have a question. So you, Freddy in this movie reacts to fire in like a really Frankenstein-y, like fire bad sort of way. So why would he? Why would like the the world into which Heather enters through like a giant thing of his face be full of fire everywhere? I, I think he has a complicated uh, sense of self. I think there's a weird dynamic between him and Heather and whatever's going on with Heather's son, Dylan, that puts him in a slightly more uh, internal and vulnerable place. The fact that she slides out of a giant Freddy face there is not supposed to suggest she's going to get eaten by a giant Freddy face. It's that we're seeing Freddy's subconsciousness to whatever extent that exists for you know an ancient elemental evil that exists in dreams. Uh, we're seeing sort of manifestation of Freddy's Freddiness in the space she goes to. 
and and so the fact that there's fire is there because he cannot ever really escape his fear of that that defeat that that part of his experience you know the fact that he's taken the form of this burned killer uh you know remains tied closely to how he exists uh and so when you look in sort of the dark heart of this particular freddy manifestation uh it cannot itself escape from that fear and maybe that's part of why it and how it operates because uh, let's let, let's assume for a second freddy krueger uh the ancient elemental evil is it hasn't always been freddy per se but west craven somehow in 1984 1983 or earlier really if we're going to take the backstory of the film's actual production to this sometime in the late 70s early 80s west craven has this idea shops the script around for a while so so at that point he creates the story of Freddy Krueger as this child molester who gets burned to death by vigilantes. And that's what creates the actual Freddy form of the elemental evil. And that form is sort of a binding together of that elemental evil with the sort of subconscious existence or soul or whatever you want of the actual Fred Krueger character become uh, manifest as dream. So, so Fred Krueger's terror at being burned to death transfers into this particular version of the elemental evil that's tied to Freddy and it'll stay there and it continue to be a problem for Freddy Krueger as long as he keeps getting play as the expression of this elemental evil and at some point maybe the evil will just dump that and say you know what fuck it starting fresh the Fred Krueger thing is a problem uh, yeah I just can't even uh, you know get it to you know work for me anymore and this fire thing oh there's just more and more fire right he, he can't function i need a new one and then fred krueger will be really gone and uh the evil move on to something else i have no idea if that pulled together into any sort of coherent pitch but uh but that's what i'm going for there um i, I could I, I could picture it that the that the uh that that this is like the Freddy is the manifestation of the thing as interpreted by you know the guy, and um, yeah, that's. I I would also want to see. I'd I'd rather have seen that movie than this one as well. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. Um, well, and, yeah, I mean, at that point, we're basically talking about Stephen King's It, right? Yeah, yeah, you that's know? that's so yeah. And, and, and certainly the idea of Freddy Krueger being just one of the faces it would wear, you know, would work fine in, in the context of Stephen King's story. And I mean, the so. other... I, I wonder if somebody could now make a movie like that and where, like, the thing just is in the guises of, like, the contemporary, you know, version of Universal Monsters. Yeah. Uh, which would be, you know, like Leatherface and Freddy and Jason and Pinhead and so on. Yeah. Where the, these all become like the manifestation of a, a certain sort of time and horror. And then I can complain about that movie. Yeah, no, that'd be pretty sweet. Well, and I mean, to some extent, uh, there, there there's a, there's an aspect of that to Cabin in the Woods, although I don't think we were ever really given any real specific yeah. sense of the the way in which these various monsters came to be like they've, right. they've definitely got hundreds of monsters in, in isolation and custody that they roll out for the ritual uh, sacrifices, but it's not clear whether those monsters are specifically things, you know, created in a lab or captured from uh, the old ones or delivered by the old ones as a, you know, sort of tool kit or, or what the situation is. So maybe they, 
are themselves in a way just manifestations of the the old ones in Cabin in the Woods. In which case, that's what we're talking about. Although without the apparent mutability of you know showing up as one thing versus another, instead yeah. we've just got these little shards of their their horrorness or whatever we want to call it. There's um, back to New Nightmare for a second. There's a there there's a scene toward the end when um, you know it's it's like one of the last scenes and and Heather Langenkamp is really into like, you know, she calls up John Saxon and then at some point John Saxon just refers to her as Nancy, um, and she's just like, why are you calling me Nancy, John? And he's just like, why are you calling me John, Nancy? <laughs> and then it turns out, and then she like sees the uh, the the police department badge on him, and. Um, She's just like you know. She she at this point she's just figures out what happens relatively quickly for a horror movie, and then she just sort of like lets him go. And I'm wondering if all of that was just the, like John Saxon stealing a police car uh, <laughs> while establishing an alibi that you know the only person that would have seen him is crazy. Yes, that's probably what it was. He was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this film. I'm done with acting. Uh, I want a police cruiser. I'm out of here. All the way at the end, it had just the cheeseballiest ending with her, like, um, you know, she finds the script, like, Mel Brooks in, uh, where, where did they find the script? Oh, uh, Men in Tights. Yeah. Yeah, like in Men in Tights, when they when they find the script and figure out what to do from the script, it was, it was like that kind of thing, but it was played totally seriously. Yeah. And then, like, all the way at the end, you know, everybody's safe, and she hugs her son, and then she finds that script, and he's just like, read me some bit. And she begins reading it to him, and just like, that is not appropriate for my, for a kid that just went through, like, severe trauma, because she's basically reciting the opening scene of the movie, which is a man almost about to chop his hand off. Then he doesn't chop his <laughs> hand off, but then a different hand kills a bunch of people gruesomely. Well, maybe it's sort of a, maybe it's sort of a Sarah Connor moment. Maybe at this point, Heather has, has accepted the fact that there is this... Uh, possibly never-ending cycle of manifestation of horror that means for her that probably she'll never be totally free from Freddy. Uh, and so instead of trying to protect her son from her movies, which, you know, it's established that she had done, she's she's just going, okay, well, I will I will raise a, a child who's prepared to do combat with uh, with this bullshit. Uh and, and and so so she's just like jumping right there. She's like, okay, I'm going to read you the story of this shit that just happened, uh, so that you will be prepared. Is she going to raise the first real dream warrior? Yes, yes. Well, that's an interesting thing because like the dream child in so like in 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 number four is the dream warrior, and some girl ends up fighting and like actually fighting Freddy, and then in five she's got a kid. Uh, if I'm remembering the the order correctly, she's got a kid, and the kid is sort of being inhabited by Freddy. And the kid's about the same age as Dylan in this, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of already established so via there that there's this weird sort of inhabiting and haunting, and then being attacked by like the kid ends up, I think, killing Freddy in a, a, a moment of sort of mystical barfing or something like that. <laughs> but so so yeah, I mean. She, she, Heather, if she's seen the other films that she wasn't in, she might have even seen that sort of put two and two together. It was like, Dylan, oh, okay, I guess I do need to, in fact, do just that. I need to raise a dream warrior, uh, and I need to get started when Freddy's not around to haunt him. So, But it, it, it's tricky because the end of the script that she's reading, is the end of that script 
her picking up that script and beginning to read the beginning of the script because that becomes sort I of a tricky so. embedding thing there because yeah like here's the thing okay if the script that she picks up and starts reading to her son ends with her picking up the script and starting reading it to her son then every additional word she reads needs to be in that script otherwise it's not the script of the movie so it would just keep like here's a theory what happens after the credits roll there is she keeps reading heather keeps reading to dylan from the script and she keeps turning to the last page and on the last page there's the next words that she's reading and so she just has to keep reading it and another page keeps appearing and they keep doing that until they starve to death and die on the bed <laughs> um yeah that, that that is the only logical conclusion of the of the way that it's presented yep i uh so. yeah they do a they do a nursery rhyme sting at the uh end of the credits if you sit all the way through them you hear some yell one two and playground noises uh, oh. there's a <laughs> there's a freddy krueger is credited as appearing as himself did he? I missed that. Yes. I didn't actually bother watching the credits. Yep. Also, a junior nurse with the needle is a Jessica Craven, so you know a little mm-hmm. bit of classic Hollywood nepotism there. Uh, nurse Abbott, I don't remember which nurse Nurse Abbott is, but was played by a woman named Tina Vale. Tina Vale, like the veil of a body bag. Oh, my God. It's all yeah. coming together. So, yeah. you know. Also, the lack of any sort of real hook at the end uh, feels kind of like Wes Craven yeah, saying, hey, was... Bob Shea, you can officially go fuck yourself, uh, but in a friendly they've made up sort of way, but still. Yeah, I was I was surprised that there was no no twist ending. Like, Well, that was something that from the, the documentary, uh, it's really clear that that was a major fucking point of contention between Wes Craven and Bob Shea on the first one. Like, Bob Shea really, really, really wanted, you know, a hook, and Wes Craven just wanted the movie with, and the movie with, you know, Heather going on with her life. You know, he actually wanted a sunny ending. And then like, so they went, I guess it sounds like they went back on the bunch on it. And Bob Shea was basically, Hey, you know, I run the production studio and the distributor for this movie. There's going to be a hook on the end. And so they end up with them getting in the car. Uh, and then it turns out to be Freddie and then driving off. And then they come back to the mom standing there all peacefully. And then they pull her through the mail slot, which I'm glad the people involved in the documentary acknowledged looked bad. Cause that was, yeah. Yeah. They were just like, well, we got the effect we wanted, but it didn't look, <laughs> you know, it didn't look right. They were like, I think they were, they were, they did a really good job. Like, well, it's, that's how, you know, it's in the dream world is because something like that can happen. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the the lack of a hook felt... I was kind of expecting there to not be a hook, but wondering how it was going to go, because I kind of feel like that probably was an early part of the discussion that Craven would have had with Bob Shea. It's like, by the way, you see where my script ends? That's where the movie ends. Don't fucking try and stick some random beheading in at the last second or anything. Uh, but, yeah. Did you ever see Freddy vs. Jason? I did not. I did not either. Yeah, okay. Um, that, is, that, it, is it a horror movie or is it just a is it an action movie? It's or like a horror action, movie? horror action, slightly comedy. It sounds like I don't know. I mean, I it, it looks a little bit better than I would have expected based on what I saw in with them talking about it. They talk about it at the, at the very end of the documentary, um, and you know, there's there's stuff about it I'm sure would annoy me, but it looks like maybe it's not. It's not as dumb as it could be. It's you know, they actually play around with the idea of the characters. 
a bit. Uh, they actually play them off each other a little bit, and I don't know. It looks like it might be worth a watch. I remember sometime. when the movie came out on the ten o'clock news. There was a segment that was a weigh-in between Freddy and Jason that was like a live <laughs> publicity stunt. Yes, yes, yeah, they, they, yeah. They get in a, they get in like a, they're doing an interview and they they have like a fight. Uh, at yeah, the that's table. right. Yeah, they get into it. Um, that was so dumb. Yep, <laughs> but great marketing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You got anything else you want to talk about uh, about this? I got nothing. Okay. Well, th- in summary, uh, <laughs> I feel like this is the worst sales pitch for it ever. But I do actually think, you know, to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and then watch New Nightmare is kind of interesting. I do think that documentary is is a fun watch, if not a particularly gripping one. The documentary one. is great. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's If you are interested in this kind of thing, it is one of the better documentaries made about it. Yeah. So it's Never Sleep Again. It's four hours long. It's on Netflix. What are you doing this weekend, really? Uh but yeah, I, I don't know. All in all, I, I feel like right now how I feel thinking about the first film and the last film of the documentary is I'm kind of glad we didn't decide to do all of the Nightmare and Elm Street oh, movies because yeah. I remember how we felt at the end of the Hellraiser movies and I never want to feel that way again <laughs> on this podcast. Yep. Uh, I might I might watch them just for the hell of it. You know, Maybe I'll do that at some point this summer and sort of watch through the rest of the series because I think it might be fun to watch when like it's just because I feel like watching it, but I'm glad we aren't going to try and talk about all of them because I think we'd run aground pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, that's that 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 concept of the podcast. I'm glad we we killed that. <laughs> the idea that we would be just so yeah. thorough because I feel like in this case we'd have to watch the TV show too if we really wanted oh, to do Jesus. it right. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, last last probably thing that it, why was Freddie having leather pants on? I didn't even notice. He he was wearing leather pants. The pants were made of leather. Maybe was, he just liked the way it looked on him. Maybe he, he liked the idea of having some smooth, unburnished skin on somebody's butt. I would. I wonder what that was supposed to con- like. What leather pants were supposed to convey in in nineteen ninety six or ninety ninety four ninety four? Yes, Reem was ninety six. Yeah. What what leather pants were supposed to convey in nineteen ninety four? Like a sense of danger because they're just they're. You know, I can't have a pair of leather pants until I'm like sixty. <laughs> Otherwise, I will look dumb. I don't know. Maybe other people. There, there's people that can pull off leather pants, like uh, men specifically. Good for them. But maybe it's just a really, dumb. really thin, subtle, dumb pun. Maybe it's just like leather pants versus leather face. He's trying to invoke another classic, you know, franchise. No, uh, that's. Just you know, change half of the word you're saying, and then you know it means anything at all. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I hadn't even picked up on that, so yeah. so I can't tell you. Well, I think I think I think we should put this sucker to bed. Yeah, uh, we haven't figured out what we're doing next. We'll have to talk that out. We've got a bunch of suggestions folks have made over the mm-hmm. last several months. So something that's not Nightmare on Elm Street related is sounding really good right about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I'll be I'll be in Huntsville. That won't change anything for the podcast, I don't think, but. Uh, I'll be in Huntsville. How far is Huntsville from Cartersville? Uh, where is Cartersville? I don't know. Give me one sec. Wait, hang on. Huntsville's in Georgia, right? No, Alabama. Oh. Huntsville. Nor- Northern Alabama, right up near uh, border of Tennessee. Let's see how far <laughs> apart these things are. What's in Cartersville? Uh, my mother-in-law. Oh, it's two and a half hours. <laughs> do, 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 do you feel I should go visit your, your mother-in-law? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, I, I think you should. No, I was thinking it's like, well, maybe if we, if we were 
needed, you know, uh, going down there or something. Yeah. To, but I don't think we are. So yeah. And plus, it's you know three hours away. That's not particularly close. Yeah, yeah nothing's particularly close down there. So that's you know. Right. But yes. All right. Well, okay. Uh, we'll 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 talk to you all in uh, probably a couple weeks. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, we'll figure out what we're doing. If you have any suggestions, always please suggest them. We 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 pay attention to them. Uh, and um, head on over to the Facebook yeah. group and and yeah, yeah, Facebook group, Twitter, Tumblr, um, iTunes. You can rate and review us, which would be appreciated for our uh, egos. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, I All right. pleasure talking to you, sir. Uh, I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Good night. <laughs>